Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. My podcasts often deal with distressing situations which are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. Some of what I discuss may trigger uncomfortable emotions. If that does occur, please reach out to Lifeline, Beyond Blue or any other support service or person you feel comfortable with. It's also important to note that there's always two sides, sometimes more, to every story. My guests provide their recollection of an event or incident, sharing their thoughts and their emotions, but it's theirs and theirs alone. Not everyone will agree with them. I never want to tell any guest what to say or what not to say. So please try and keep that in mind. Today's podcast is my guest's version of events, and there'll always be others who see it differently. Hello, I'm Narelle Fraser. I was a cop with Victoria Police for 27 years, 15 of those as a detective, having dealt with all types of crime from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. I witnessed the effect crime has on all those involved and became one of those victims myself in 2012 when I was diagnosed with PTSD. However, out of adversity comes other opportunities like this, my own podcast. I still pinch myself. But thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. Why aren't the authorities doing anything about it? There's no excuse for it and something needs to change. I contacted today's guest because of some lovely words of encouragement that he sent me about the positive impact that my podcasts were having on him. I decided to reach out as the little that I gleaned from his messages of encouragement indicated to me that there was a lot to his life and his positive attitude and emotional strength I found really inspiring. While he made it clear that he'd been no angel in his younger years, having had a drug habit and spent time inside for assaults, I just felt that there was a message in his story. Scott is his name. And it's not easy listening in parts. There's some language and discussion about cruelty and child sexual abuse, so please be warned. But I did want Scott to tell his story in his way, in his words, without me telling him what to say and how to say it. Scott's mum was a prostitute and a drug addict, and she'd leave him and his two small brothers alone for days. The authorities stepped in when it was discovered that Scott, at four years of age, had mistakenly fed his baby brother Ajax. He and his brothers were placed in an orphanage until his auntie took them under her wing. 
At the time, she was 20 years old and had two kids of her own. So she had five kids under eight in the house. What a woman. Scott finds it hard to articulate the love that he has for his auntie to this day. But then the authorities decided that Scott and his brothers should go into foster care where he was sexually abused by the very person he thought he could trust. And throughout all the cruelty and all the sadness, Scott has never waned from his strong sense of family and has since found happiness. He's got his own family. And what Scott really wants to do is give others hope that you can turn basically what was, pardon me, a shit life around. And Scott asked me if I could just do him one favour, not to refer to him as a victim because, quote, I'm not a victim. I survived that shit. I'm a survivor, unquote. Pretty bloody inspiring, isn't it? So, Scott, thank you so much for agreeing to share with us today what I suppose what a different life many of us out there have lived and couldn't contemplate. So welcome and again thanks Scott. No worries, Narelle. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing really well. How about you? I'm above the grass, so it's a good day. <laughs> now um, so with that intro, I suppose I wouldn't mind starting off if I could ask you what are your earliest recollections of your life? Um to begin with, I'll tell you, I'm not at all 100% sure about ages and dates in the most part, all right? So I'm probably going to wing it here, but I reckon I would have been about maybe two, and my very first reflect um, recollection of my life was my mum uh, making me have a draw on a cigarette, and then laughing when I choked my hole up. That is the first thing I can remember. And and you say you were at two at that age, Scott? Around about, yeah. I also remember wanting, like, because where I lived, it was like a cul-de-sac and there was a school down one end of the street and I used to go to kindy there. And, yeah, I never used to want to come home. And I don't actually remember why. Yeah, so that's my first recollection of life. Um, Yeah. Oh, God, Scott, when I think about it, I was – how old was I? Now, I just want to say something here too, that the people that are listening might hear some uh, background noise, but Scott wears uh, hearing aids, so – what we might hear is a little bit of interference from Scott's um, hearing aids. I'll blame you, Scott. I'm not going to blame myself. You'd be stupid too, wouldn't you, Nora? <laughs> <laughs> I'll blame your hearing aids if that's okay. I'll cop that one on the chin for you, buddy. <laughs> Thank you. But I'm just thinking now, the first time I ever had a try of a cigarette, I was probably about 14. That that blows me away, Scott, that at two years old that your mum was, well, virtually, I suppose, teaching you how to smoke. Yeah. So what sort of year is this, Scott, just roughly? Uh, This is around 1977, 78. As I I told you, I can't tell you with 100% certainty 
how old I was at any given time. Yeah. Um, well, especially that early in my life. But I was really young. Do you remember your birthday? Like, do you know when your actual birthday is? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in 1976. Hey, hey, I'll give you the tip, Scott. You're not old. In my eyes, you're a, a young chicken. What I do to be born in 1976, my God. Um, anyway, and I'm also, I'm also. Were you in the police force by then? Um, no, I wasn't. I was travelling around Australia in a combi. I think at that point in my life, in a combi. having a ball, mind you, Scott. I've got to say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Scott, the other, the other thing I'm thinking of. Is um, when you just said then you didn't want to go home from kinder. Well, I've got a fair idea why you wouldn't want to go home from kinder. I've got a fair idea too, but there is no one thing that I can remember from that part of my life which would give me any reason not to come home from kindergarten. I'm just thinking to myself, it would be. Um, I don't imagine coming home would have been an enjoyable thing. I mean, maybe I'm being a bit harsh, but I don't imagine it was something you would look forward to. Maybe you were having more fun at kinder than you were at home. Is that possible? Very likely. I mean, God, I was like, nay hide a grasshopper's arsehole and my mum's given me cigarettes. So I dare say that's the, um, like, there's something there. I'm just not exactly sure what it is. Yeah, yeah. And so, Scott, what was it that caused you and your brothers uh, to be placed in an orphanage? Can you take us through that? Um, yeah, sure. I was approximately four years old and, like I just said in the intro, my mum was a prostitute and a drug addict. Now, I distinctly remember her saying, I'm just going to get some bread and milk. I'll be back in like 10 minutes or something. Well, that turned out to be three days. So, you know, I've got responsibility of these two little humans and, you know, I thought that it was my responsibility to feed them, clothe them, stuff like that. Well, anyway, on the third day, um, I made my little brother a bottle. And the formula was sitting right next to a can of Ajax, both the white powders. So, you know, I made my brother a bottle of Ajax and it made him really, really sick. And for years and years and years, I blamed myself for that. But a couple of years ago, I thought, well, where would I be if I didn't do that? It sounds horrible to say, but I'm actually glad I gave my little brother that Ajax because if I didn't, we would have stayed there in that house. We probably would have died in that house. And so now, while I still don't like the idea of doing that to my brother, if I didn't do that, we'd all be dead. Yes, Scott, I think I think you might be right. Mm. And, Scott, you were four. How, how old were your brothers? Uh, well, my middle brother is three years younger than me, three years and seven days, actually, uh, 17 days, actually. 
So he would have been maybe 18 months, two years, and my little brother was newborn. So, yeah, it's a a very bitter pill to swallow, but, Yeah. Mm. yeah, as I said, where would I be if I didn't? And because my little brother screamed, um, you know, I was sitting in the hallway, like our hallway ran 90 degrees to the front door. Uh, so when the police kicked in the front door, we, me and my two brothers, like I had my little brother in my arms, in my right arm. I had my middle brother, I was cuddling him and the police kicked in the door and I'm like, no, I'm not going with you because my mum had always been, or her boyfriends had always been in trouble with the law. And I've only ever seen police, um, you know, come and take people away. So I really fought against that. And, um, yeah, it was, um, it was really hard. And I get emotional just thinking about it now, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, let's be careful. Um, I just want to make sure that um, the listeners know that Scott and I have talked about the fact that today isn't the first time that Scott has ever spoken about this. Scott has been very keen to speak about it. But uh, and Scott has. I just want to make sure everyone out there knows that Scott has had a lot of help. Um, and we said that if Scott got a little bit upset today, number one is I think that would be very uh, normal. <laughs> um, um, but if it gets too hard, Scott, you know what we can do is we can just um, uh, put it off for another day. But, Scott, these sort of things that you're talking about, it's just so hard for so many of us out there to understand like yeah my you know it's my I'm gobsmacked to be honest at you know the responsibilities that you have as a four-year-old yeah I understand that Narelle but if I stay silent about this nothing changes you know what I mean like Mm. it stays the same and the only way we're going to change this is if a people know it's happening and B, people stand up and say, fuck this, let's do something about it. That's the only way it's going to change. Otherwise, there's going to be another thousand people that have lived a life like mine. And I can't justify not talking just because I feel a little upset. But also, Scott, I think it's so it's so important because what you're doing is giving people inspiration and motivation that if they are in a position like you uh, were when you were a kid, that life does get better. You you can't imagine it at the time, can you? But it does get better and look where you are now and I think that's what we're trying to show today, aren't we, or to show people that life can deal you a really tough bunch of cards but you can turn your life around and that's what today is about, isn't it? Yeah, well, when life hands you lemons, buy a bottle of vodka. That's what I think. Oh, Scott, you make me laugh. Tell me about your auntie. You My work here is done. <laughs> you said to me that you couldn't articulate how much you loved your auntie. Can you tell us about her? 
Um, as you said in the intro, um, we lived in an orphanage and my auntie decided that that wasn't good enough for her family, so she took us in. She had five kids under eight and she was 20 years old. She was a kid herself. And I have absolute respect for that woman and my uncle. Like, he was like the dad I'd never had. Um, yeah, they're just amazing people and I can't speak highly enough of them. And, um, yeah, I have nothing but good memories of living with them, even though I was a little prick most of the time. But um, <laughs> I reckon you might have been somehow, Scott. <laughs> what makes you think that, Nora? Oh, just an idea I get. <laughs> <laughs> I was a terrible child, Nora. Um, oh, but, Scott, when you look at what you've been through. Yeah, not because I wanted to be a terrible child. You know, I just felt I had to defend myself. Like, look out for me and fuck the rest of the world, you know. Um, and there was a time where we didn't speak, but that's water under the bridge now. I I cannot speak highly enough of them two people. I think if it wasn't for them, I that's that would have been I would have topped myself. Do you still see your – are they still with us today, Scott, or are they alive? Yes, both of them are. Um, my uncle is retired and since he retired he's um, had a bit of a rough knock health-wise, but he's still with us and if I get time I go and see them, but the thing is I don't get a lot of time these days between my mob year, working – and, you know, um, yeah, it's just really hard. But me and my auntie, we've actually been talking about our family history. So I've um, spent the last probably six months looking into, like, my family. And, you know, that's something that's bonded us. And I really can't pay them enough respect. Like, they are amazing people. I hope everybody has a, per- has a person in their life like these people. It's lovely in um, such a really a sad world in at the start of your life that, um, you know, you've had your auntie because without her it doesn't sound like, you know, there was too much to sort of, um, I don't know, look forward to. Uh, Scott, when you were eight, you had an access visit with your mum that didn't go too well. Can you tell us about that? Um, yeah. I was around about eight years old. Me and my brothers went for an access visit with my mum and uh, she forced us to go on a walk with her boyfriend and he basically flushed himself, tried to get us to do things to him, um, yeah, I don't recall doing anything to him, but, um, that's not saying I didn't, I just don't recall it. Um, and when I went back to tell my mother, um, she basically called me a liar 
and we were living with my auntie and uncle at the time. So after that access visit, I told my auntie, she believed me, thank God. Um, and so, like, because when I was living with my auntie, we were still under the guardianship of the minister. So we were basically still in foster care but living with our family, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Yep. So she's um, told our social worker. A social worker organised a visit with a psychologist, right, and the operative word here is a visit. Um, basically, the psychologist has said there's no evidence to support the accusation. That was the end of it. And um, that's where the system needs to change. I'd, Me personally, I'd rather believe a liar than not believe someone telling the truth. It's easier for me to deal with. Okay, they said that, they were full of shit. Mm. But what if I don't believe them and they're actually telling the truth? That's not something that sits well with me. Mm. So I've always said, you know, if someone comes to me and discloses their abuse, I'm always going to believe them. If it turns out that they lied about it or they had some reason to make it up, that's easier to deal with than not believing someone and then finding out it was actually happening to them. Mm. I mean, the system's got a lot, a lot, a lot of answering to do. And the Royal Commission that Julian Gillard set up, while that was good and it helped a lot of people, in my eyes, it didn't go far enough because even while that Royal Commission was happening, there was a guy working for the welfare mob that got done for pedophilia. And that's while the, the Royal Commission's happening. I'm just gobsmacked, you know? Like, how does that mm-hmm. even happen? Mm-hmm. You know, um, but having said that, we've come a long way but we still have a long way to go. Gee, we certainly do, Scott. Um, you know, it's even ha- this last couple of weeks, um, you know, we've got all those issues happening um, in the media. Uh, we won't go into it, but there is a lot happening and we have got a long, long way to go. Yeah, well, I don't even watch free-to-air TV because I just... Like, you know, I see something like, um, you know, there might be something about a little kid that's been abused and it just makes me so angry because if the news know about this to tell people it's happening, why aren't the authorities doing anything about it? There's no excuse for it and something needs to change. And you know what, Scott? You are what? There's no excuse at all. No, there isn't. And what you are doing is you, um, along with a lot of other people, you are trying to change people's attitudes. We're trying to change, um, you know, government policies. So we are doing something, but it just takes an an awful long time. Well, I haven't got that far yet, but I'd like to. Yeah, Yeah, a bit. Um, Now... So from that access visit, uh, you were then placed in foster care, weren't you, when you were 12? Could you tell us about that? Um, 
my auntie, she got breast cancer. And, what, she was 28, 29 maybe. Um, and she just felt that it was getting too much for her. My mother had been a absolute dick the whole time we lived with my auntie and uncle. Um, made promises that she knew she wouldn't keep. She made my my auntie and uncle's life absolute hell. And they decided, look, we can't deal with this no more. Uh, and it wasn't us kids. It was my mother. And um, so I got moved to a foster family just around the corner from where my auntie and uncle lived, all right? And you remember before how I told you I was a little prick to my, to my auntie and uncle? Well, they said, right, you can only come around on Sundays, okay? Now, this is important later on, so just bear that in mind. So after about three weeks of moving into this foster p- placement, a person who I will only call Dickface because I refused to give him a name or a voice, he started grooming me. You know, he pat me on the ass. You know, I didn't think any of that, anything of that because I was playing rugby union at the time. And, you know, you're always getting tapped somewhere. And so I didn't think any of that until... Something happened, and I'm not going to um, to say what it is here to avoid people being like avoid listeners being triggered. Um, but something happened that led to penetration, and that happened for the whole time I was living there. I used to, after it had happened, I'd always go to my aunties and uncles, uh, and they'd say. Well, it isn't Sunday. You can't stay here. Right? And Dickface had always said he'd kill my family if ever I said anything. All right, so that led to me, like, you know, I can't tell them. What if he's serious? And you've got to remember, I'm only 12 years old. So, you know, if that happened now, I'd call bullshit. But when you're 12 years old and this bloke seems so fucking huge. You know what I mean? Like, I'm what, five foot? This guy's at least eight foot, nine foot tall in my eyes. And he's going to kill my parent, like kill my auntie and uncle if I say anything. I'm not taking that risk. So I kept it silent. And I remember we went to the doctor. He made me tell the doctor that I was constipated. And that's how it happened. Again, you know, he's threatening to kill my folks. I've got to keep my mouth shut. And push come to shove. And before I go any further, I will just say that, like, I'm sure there's listeners saying, why didn't you go to your social worker or why didn't you go to the police? When I was eight, I, I went to my social worker they done nothing. They gave me one one session with a child psychologist. That was it. So my thinking was, 
well, this guy's going to kill my family. If I tell these people, they're not going to do shit, mm. you know. Um, I might as well keep it to myself. I, and I did for almost 30 years. Yeah, and that's the worst thing I ever done. The absolute worst thing I ever done. And when I did disclose, I went to my local police station and... A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Stupid me. I checked in on Facebook and all my friends, they're ringing me up going, oh, what have you done now? What have you done now? And I'm like, I've done nothing. I'm disclosing my sexual abuse. And they go, you were sexually abused? That's how well I mastered. it. Even my best mates didn't know. You know, and that led to a lot of stuff I'm sure we'll be talking about soon. I, I won't give away too much of the story now. Well, I suppose um, everything that you've just said there, Scott, is so um, – it happens so much that people take so long um, to tell people. There's all sorts of reasons why they don't tell and your reasoning is um, very, very similar to a lot of others. But what did happen – uh, after you did tell the police, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Dickface, as you lovingly refer to him as, Dickface was committed to trial, wasn't he? No, not lovingly. I hate the prick. Yeah, sorry, that was the wrong expression. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, what happened, um, there's a detective here. I swear to God, Narelle, I have never, ever had an such a positive experience when I've, than I've had with that detective. Oh, that's... Um, with police, mm. ever. When I first disclosed you, um, you know, you go and talk to a uni, they 
take it down. They do whatever they do. They pass it on to the whoever they pass it on to. And it got passed to this detective. And I remember, like, because I had to make my statement over three days because it was that full on, um, you know, and I was overwhelmed by it. Mm. You know what I mean? This is the first person I've ever told and it's taken me seriously. It's like all my Christmases come at once. And, um, you know, so I had to do my statement over three days and I was getting really frustrated because I couldn't remember things. And he was like, you know, it's not your job to do this investigation. It's mine. You just tell me what you do remember and I'll fill in the blanks. You know, I've never had an experience like that with a police officer before in my life or since. He was an amazing bloke and he found enough evidence to actually charge him. And apparently I'm not the only person who's done it to, which I don't find hard to believe. So he's found about seven or eight other people, right? So it goes to the magistrate's court. He gets committed to stand trial. And two days before it goes to the court, I get a a phone call from this detective uh, informing me that he died. And I was absolutely shattered. I bet you were. Yeah, and... It turns out that my cousin was his palliative care nurse and my cousin knew nothing about my abuse. So she actually, um, you know, looked after him until he died. And she feels guilty about that. But I don't hold her responsible. She didn't do all those awful things to me. Mm. Um, You know, she had a job to do. Her job is to make people comfortable before they pass away. And I'm... 100% 100% sure that if she knew what happened, she wouldn't have been his palliative care nurse at all. Yeah, so when he died, like, because I had no intention of going for compensation. I just wanted the bastard in jail. Because mm. uh, I've done enough jail to know that he's going to have a hard time in jail because he's a pedo. And that was reward enough for me. Yeah. But the magistrate gave him bail. And I thought that was, like, ridiculous, you know. That's just asking for this guy to keep doing it again. Yeah, you're right. Again and again and again. Mm. And um, so he's died two days before it was meant to go to the court. And that was just like me being traumatised all over again. I really hit rock bottom. Um, I started smoking pot started drinking heavily, Um, you know, I dabbled in amphetamines at this time. And I I decided, right, that before it was about justice, I'm not going to get that now, you know. I'm going to get sweet fuck all. So I decided to go for the compensation, you know. I want something, you know. My first choice, I couldn't get that because a prick died, right, I needed something to hold the system accountable Mm. because ultimately, well, this fuckwit, for want of a better word, perpetrated the crime. The system allowed him to. Yes. 
So it's gone from holding him responsible to holding the system responsible. And anyway, um, got a lawyer. We managed to keep it out of the courts. And I'm sort of two minds about that because when it come time to discuss numbers, they wanted to give me dollars. Right? And I was sitting in my lawyer's office. They were talking out the front. I heard them say, look, we're only willing to give you dollars. I was doodling on a piece of paper. And on the top of this piece of paper, I wrote, fuck no. And I just slid it around and gave it to my lawyer. Chief walked out. No, that's not good enough. And I felt they were just treating me like a number. Yes. You know, Mm. I am actually a human that has been wronged by the system. And if the system isn't held accountable for the system's actions, what hope is there for us? And I don't mean us that have been abused. I mean for people, for human beings. What hope is there for us? There's no hope. And in the end, I settled for dollars. Um, now, I will say this. No amount of money is ever going to be enough to compensate a survivor of sexual abuse. No money at all. And... So, you know, I just took it because I think I thought they were going to keep knocking it down until, you know, I got fuck all. So I took it. And then another survivor that I know, like, because there's a men's um, sexual abuse survivors group. Um, I'll give the details uh, a bit later, but. Yeah, he got dollars, right? Um, So I thought, you know what, I'm going to go for redress from the Royal Commission. They um, they said, you know, put this away for, well, anyway, I'll go for the redress, not thinking I'd get anything because I'd already got from the state government. So that went through about nine months later, they ring me. Right? And I was with my wife at the time, and they ring me, and I answer the phone, and she goes, oh, we're willing to give you um, dollars. And I couldn't speak. <laughs> I couldn't speak. Yeah. My wife's going, Scott, you've got to say something. And I'm like, wow, I just don't know what to say. <laughs> they were my exact words to this lady. Yeah. I don't know what to say. Um, but again, no amount of money is going to be enough. Right. And I would have been happy with zero money if Dick Face hadn't attacked it two days before trial because I know he would have been found guilty. Um, Scott, you just said then that um, you did jail. Mm-hmm. What, tell, us, tell us about that. What happened and why did you go to jail? Well, Okay, um, so a couple of years after the abuse with Dick Face happened, I went to live with my mother, right? Now, the reasoning behind that was, you know, surely after 15 years, my mother has got her head together. You'd think so. All right, so 
yeah, unfortunately, this is my mob we're talking about. If your head's not together when you're bloody 15, it's not going to be together, apparently. But, um, yeah, so, like, I hadn't heard from my mum a lot in between the time I first moved with my auntie and uncle until I got a Christmas card from her in 1990, 89, 90. I got a Christmas card for, or oh, birthday card for her. She had her phone number in it. I thought, what the fuck, why not? So I got in contact with her. And just like she did when I was younger, she made all these promises, right? So I'd gone over there for two weeks for a visit to see how things would go. It went all right. So I finished my schooling and then went back permanently. Yeah, so as soon as I moved back permanently, shit went sideways. Right, she'd start, um, she had this length of bamboo, probably about a metre long, probably about maybe five centimetres thick. I used to get floggings with that every time I'd done something wrong. And um, I used to get really angry with her, like really angry. And to begin with, I'd just take it and then yell and scream. That'd be enough to scare the shit out of her. And anyway, when I was maybe 16, um, that was my first interaction with place. And they didn't arrest me, but they um, removed me from the house and taken me to the um, youth refuge. And so I stayed there. And on the way... One of the officers, he goes, you know, I would much rather have taken your mum than you. I'm like, at the time, I just thought, yeah, well, you know, you got me out of there. I don't give a fuck. Um, But then when I thought about it later, my mum has a very, very, very extensive criminal history, like drugs, prostitution, um, all sorts of shit. I didn't know that at the time, though. So, you know, I've gone there thinking I'm going to be safe. I get belted around the fucking place. Um, And anyway, I put up with that for a few years. And I was about 18, 19. And she hit me in the back of the head with this bit of bamboo. And I lost my shit. I fucking grabbed the bamboo off her. I snapped the bamboo. And I punched her in the face. And... That was my first lag in a jail. And, um, you know, it had a flow-on effect from there because after that I started to resent women. Like, so, you know, I'd get a girlfriend, we'd have a couple of kids, and I don't know what it was in, like what it was in my head, but then I'd go back into that I've got to defend myself mode, you know, and... um, There's been quite a few times where I've assaulted my partners at the time. Um, You know, I've done jail for it. And, yeah, I'm not proud of that, Narelle. Um, And I want people to know that it's not who I wanted to be that does that shit. It's who I was forced to be. And even though I make my own decisions about what I do with my life, 
if you go through enough trauma, that ability to make them the, the correct decisions gets taken away from you because nothing else matters apart from protecting yourself. And it's a sad fact of life, but nonetheless, it is a fact. But, but Scott, it is um, – yeah, and, and as you say, we're not um, – certainly not condoning what you've done. But when – it's learned behaviour, isn't it? It is um, – it's what it, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. Um, and so Scott, what turned your life around? Like obviously, you know, things were spiraling out of control. What was it that turned your life around? Right. So in two thousand, late two thousand and five, just broken up with my girlfriend, and I was dead set certain I was going to commit suicide. I was, I was sick of life. You know what I mean. Um, you might notice that I said at the beginning, any day above the lawn is a good day. Yeah. Well, back then, the days above the lawn was shit. And so I climbed this tree, and you know, I made a noose. I thought I was like, you know, I thought I would have been able to do it. Right, but I'm up there tying the noose and a police car rocks up and he tried talking to me for, I don't know, maybe two or three hours um, and I was very anti-police back then. So I'm like, oh, fuck off, dickhead. You, you're just going to arrest me when I come down. Um. So anyway, after a while, the fire brigade came and an ambulance. And I remember I actually slipped on the branch and I thought I was going over. And at that time, I was starting to second-guess myself. Um, You know, do these people down here, like for the – 15, 20 feet below me actually want to help me or is this the only way I can go about it and in my life? And I remember, you know, them um, extension ladders they use on the fire trucks with the big um, nozzle on them? Mm-hmm. They use them for firefighting in tall buildings? Yep. Um, one of them, he just extended the ladder up and – he was standing about three quarters of the way up the ladder and, you know, we had a bit of a chat and in the end I decided to come down. And mind you, around this time I was a really, really heavy, heavy amphetamine user. I was using like five, six hundred bucks a day and, you know, so I've come down. They've taken me to hospital I ended up doing two weeks in the mental health ward. And during that time, I, I turned around and said to him, look, I'm sick of the drug use. I'm sick of being this way. And they said, well, look, we can get you into rehab. And I thought, well, you know, what have I got to lose? I'm homeless. I can't get any lower. So I went to rehab. Um, that was a 
12 months residential rehab. Well, three weeks before the end of that, I found out that my oldest daughter was also sexually abused in care. So, you know, I've said, right, fuck this rehab. I'm going to save my daughter. But people convinced me that I should stay and finish the rehab. It was only three weeks, they said. Biggest mistake of my life. But anyway, I won't say I've been totally clean since then. I have had some setbacks, but, you know, it's it's neither here nor there. Most of the, like, I can fall off the wagon and usually it hasn't got too far ahead before I get back on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was the start of it. So in 2006, I got out of rehab, spent a couple of years homeless, but not using any drugs or, you know, stuff like that. Then in 2000 and late, well, early 2008, I um, was on a website called um, Funky Sexy Cool. <laughs> uh, it's defunct now. Um, and she voted me sexy. Oh, Scott, you make me laugh. I actually think she needed glasses, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, and I seen a photo and I thought, fuck, she's gorgeous. So I thought, you know, I'll, um, I'll come over for a booty call. And that booty call has lasted so far 13 years. Oh, Scott, can you help me here? I'm almost frightened to ask, but I'm going to. A booty call. One night stand. Um... Friends with benefit. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, I get it. Thank you. (laughs) I get it. Thanks. Um, Scott, we're going to have to – there's so much here that I would just love to talk to you about. But I suppose there's just one other question. You said that you would have loved to have been a social worker. Yep. What stopped you being a social worker? My criminal record, I couldn't pass the police check. So that dream kind of died in the ass. You know, I'd still like to do it, but this is another way that the system is failing people, right? Yes, you can go to university. You can get all the knowledge mm. you need, mm. right? But that knowledge is shit compared to someone who has lived that experience and can talk to you firsthand, right? Like, I didn't get my, my shit from a textbook. And even if I did, there's no textbook that would cover the range of ways a situation like this plays out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I have lived experience and I want to share that with people. I still do. That's why I'm doing this podcast with you. You know what I mean? But unfortunately, I've made some bad choices in my younger years and I'm paying for them now. Yeah. It's still a dream, but not all dreams come true. (laughs) Oh, you. You're 
You are so true, Scott. That is so, so true. Maybe maybe something changes in 10, 15 years' time. You know, it's still going to be my dream. And, you know, you're right about the um, lived experience. I think that that you can't study for, as you say. Hmm. And and what a, a great um, person you would be to be a social worker because you would know, I mean, I've got no idea how somebody would feel to be, say, homeless or um, have have been in a psychiatric hospital or whatever it be. Yeah. But people like yourself that have been there would just have invaluable advice uh, to give people and, oh, look, I, t- I take my hat off to you, Scott. I thank you so much. All it takes, Narelle, is you say you're a homeless person, you stop and have your arm with them. That's all it takes. I still do that now. In my job as a delivery driver, I, I see homeless people. I stop and have your arm with them. I don't give a shit what people walking past think. Like, they're the ones missing out. Because a lot of the time, these homeless people, in my opinion, a lot of, like, sometimes I'd prefer to speak to a homeless person than someone who's not. Someone has a roof over their head. Because they are willing to impart information and they're willing to receive it. That's all it takes in a row. When you see someone in the street, you stop and talk to them. Well, Scott, all I can say is um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being so open and honest. And I know this wouldn't have been easy listening at times because from my point of view, Scott, it's just so, so sad. But in other ways, it's uplifting because of your attitude, you know, you've got a, an amazing attitude considering what you've been through and I can only say thank you and I hope by you sharing what you have today that um, number one is you feel good or better but at least the, but somebody out there can listen to what you've said today and think, well, Scott can do it, I can too. So, Scott, thank you again can I, can I? Yeah, go on. Yep. Can I just? Um, I've got a message for the people listening. Yes. Um. Right. If you're struggling, speak up. I can't be any clearer about it. Find someone that you trust. Speak to them. If they're any sort of decent human being, they're going to believe you. If they're not, then not worth shit. Okay. Two. And this is directed at male survivors. There is an um, organisation called Samson. It deals only with male survivors of sexual abuse. And they run eight-week courses where they will help you through your trauma. I've done one of them eight-week courses. I wouldn't be able to speak to you today if I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And the last thing is, if you think something's happening to a child or anybody for that matter, speak up. Because if you stay silent, you're part of the problem. Thank you, Nora. They are very, very um, deep words, Scott, but they are also so very, very true. 
And uh, I just hope that if there is somebody out there that is concerned about a child's safety, as Scott says, please say something because if you don't, you're just condoning whatever's happening. Exactly. Anyway, yeah, thank you, Scott. It's been an absolute pleasure and uh, I hope you're okay today after that. It's um, been a pretty heavy session. (laughs) Hey, I'm um, actually just glad I got to get the word out there, you know, not all stories are like mine. Some are worse, you know, but mm. if knowledge is power and now people have the power to to change it. And change, we hope they do. All right, Scott, again, uh, thank you very much. Thanks for your time. No worries, Sarah. It's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.